Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person ready to talk turkey. With Thanksgiving around the corner, it's a great time to invite third-generation turkey farmer John Peterson um, from Ferndale, Turkey. And later in the program, we're going to be joined by um, Emily with Eat for Equity. And then we're also going to be talking about uh, the school lunch uh, shaming incident that happened this week in Richfield. So welcome to Food Freedom Radio, um, and welcome to Food Freedom Radio, John Peterson. Thank you, Laura. Thrilled to be back on. Appreciate yes. the opportunity. Well, we love having you, and I love having you as a partner for AM950, um, a third-generation turkey farmer. That is right. We, My family has been at this for an awful long time now. My my grandfather got us started 80 years ago this year in 1939. 1939. So, uh, yeah, proud to have been raising turkeys for, for 80 years and three generations um, on our farm here in Cannon Falls. So tell us about the name Ferndale. Yeah, it's a great, great story. I never, I never tire of sharing the story of where our name came from because my my grandpa who started the farm was Dale, and uh, shortly after um, after our farm was started, he met my my grandmother, and her name was Fern. So Fern and Dale uh, were my grandparents, and uh, of course. All of our all of our family takes a lot of pride in having their names literally on on every package um, of of turkey that we produce, and uh, it's a great great glimpse into our history and also the way that we still grow our turkeys today, the practices that that have sustained us for all of those eighty years. And um, and how wonderful that is too, because there's been so much consolidation in the farming, um, uh, farming, and so much consolidation of farming. So from 1945 to 1988, there were two million fewer owners of U.S. agriculture. Basically, farmers were told to get big or get out. Is that what you also observed? Absolutely, yeah. And I don't, I don't think that uh, trend toward consolidation has has stopped. I mean, it, it certainly continues. And I, I do think, you know, everybody can recognize that there are a lot of things broken with, with farming today. And a lot of times, um, I think, you know, folks, um, you know, incorrectly put the blame on, on farmers, but so oftentimes farmers are, you know, are trapped in a, in a system that, that isn't any good for them either. You look around today, you know, a lot of farmers aren't making a living doing what they're doing. So a lot of these are bigger systemic problems. And, uh, we really are trying to do things a little bit differently here, both both with our practices, but also, you know, with this model of being able to to grow our turkeys and sell directly to a consumer that allows us to to remain independent. So you're right; a lot of those things are are uh, you know deep seated and have been happening in the ag world for an awful long time. Yeah, an independent family farm. Um, and tell us about the store that you have in Cannon Falls. Yeah, definitely. So right on our farm, um, just outside of Cannon Falls, we actually took what was our turkey hatchery. We used to hatch all of our own poults, and we remodeled the hatchery 11 years ago and uh, opened an on-farm local food store where we sell all of our turkey products. So it may be the only place in the world where, where one can find all of the different turkey products that that we produce under one roof, but also um, gives us a chance to partner with a lot of other local farmers and food makers. So we have about uh, we have foods from about a hundred other um, lo- local farmers and food makers. Um, I would say we specialize in meat and dairy because we we know a lot of those folks from the world of of agriculture in this area, but also a lot of good specialty um, products and 
we're really looking not only for things that are locally produced, but also from, like you mentioned, Laura, independent folks and uh, people that are using distinctive or traditional practices. Cool. Now, connect this um, independent farming with the cooperative movement. How important are co-ops in this in this ecosystem? Yeah, hugely important. I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't think that we would have. Um, the local food system that, that we are fortunate to have in this in this region and around the Twin Cities without the natural food co-ops. And I think oftentimes people who, who may have lived here for a long time don't realize what a gem um, this community is to have such an abundance of natural food co-ops. Um, you travel to a lot of other uh, communities across the country of, of comparable size, um, they would envy the natural food co-op community that, that we have here. And so I can speak from our own experience and say that the co-ops have really helped to kind of incubate um, our direct marketing and helped us with, you know, products that, that they know um, their, you know, their owners and customers are looking for. Um, certainly, you know, they're our key customer at this time of year uh, for us to be able to provide our, our fresh and frozen Thanksgiving turkeys to a broader audience. So the co-op movement has really driven um, a lot of good things in sustaining um, sustaining good food and independent family farms in this region, without a doubt. Cool. Now, um, at Seward Community Co-op, uh, people who are listening to the show have up until Thursday, November 22nd, to order a fresh turkey. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm, I'm always reluctant to, uh, to give deadlines because they do vary a little bit by store. So our turkeys can be found in most of the... Twin Cities Food Co-ops, and um, I'm sure they are all taking orders now. And uh, like I say, probably have varying cutoffs, and some will have some sizes that may disappear sooner than others. Uh, but the, the co-ops and, and the Kowalski stores are really the, the backbone of our um, Thanksgiving fresh turkey distribution. And then we have at our on-farm store, like we just mentioned, um, also the chance to pick up fresh turkeys and our deadline will actually extend all the way through the day before Thanksgiving, the 27th of November. Um, you know, assuming that sizes remain available, that's always the the caveat that we offer of course, is that as, as sizes uh, disappear, um, we'll have, we'll have others available, um, uh, hopefully right up until, right up until that last day before Thanksgiving. Cool. So, okay. What is the difference between a fresh or frozen Turkey? That's a good question. And, I would start by saying that they're both a good, you'll get a good turkey out of both. Um, I think there are, you know, some advantages with a, with a fresh turkey, um, one certainly being convenience that we know if you buy a, you know, a big frozen turkey, um, it can take an awful long time to thaw, particularly our, you know, our biggest frozen turkeys will be in that 24, 25 pound range. Um, I mean, it, it'll take a week um, in your refrigerator to thaw that turkey. So um, there's a convenience factor with the fresh birds. Um, they also cook a little bit faster because they've never been as cold in the core. Um, and so you're starting with a, you know, a slightly warmer temperature. And then, you know, there are, there are certainly people who, who prefer, they think that there's a, a texture, um, texture difference between a, a fresh and a frozen. I say our, you know, our frozen turkeys are uh, flash frozen. Um, so it's mm. not, you know, not a turkey that, um, you know, that sat very long before it was frozen. So I think our frozen turkeys are also very high quality, but there are some um, convenience um, pieces there with a the fresh turkey. Cool. And so um, tell us about your turkeys. Um, how are they different than the turkeys people may find in some of the other stores? Definitely. Yeah, we, we take 
a lot of pride in the way that, that we raise our turkeys. And I sort of alluded to this talking about my, my grandparents who got us started. But, you know, the, the funny thing for our points of difference is that it's really our uh, continuation of, of the same practices that we started with 80 years ago. Um, and I always say it's, you know, it's the world around us that has changed and our <laughs> practices have, have remained the same. So what that really looks like is that our turkeys are outdoors. And during the peak summer months, that means they're completely out on range. They're, they're pastured. Um, we're moving them rotationally onto fresh grass every week. Um, and, you know, moving, moving their shelter, their feeder, their water all right along with them. So they're always on, on good fresh ground. During the early spring and late fall, they'd be indoor-outdoor um, so that they can choose where they're most comfortable, but they always have that outdoor access. It's free-range in the world of poultry. Um, and then we also don't use any antibiotics or any growth promotants in raising our turkeys. So they grow at nature's pace, and um, we're, we're trying to work with the natural environment to, to keep them healthy without needing uh, medications or, or artificial interventions. So like I say, those are, um, those are the real points of difference, but uh, I'm sure my grandpa would chuckle because they're, uh, they're things that we've been doing for 80 years, and honestly, that's the way everybody would have done it 80 years ago. Yeah, so it's also chemical nitrate-free and naturally processed. Yes, absolutely. So I, I failed to mention that and appreciate you bringing it up, Laura, that we don't add any basting solution. Um, perhaps I failed to mention it because it seems so common sense that uh, if, you, if you raise a good turkey um, and you're going to be proud of the flavor of that bird, why add anything to it? Um, but you and your listeners may know most poultry um, does have a basting solution of water and saline and salt and whatnot added to it. Um, so, of course, we never add any, any water basting solution. You're getting 100% pure turkey. And just, uh, I guess, a little sidebar, that also means you're getting a little better value because you're not buying water um, when you pay for your turkey. But uh, then, in addition, you're coming about uh, nitrates or additives. None of our um, smoked products, like we offer a, a smoked turkey breast, um, we're curing those without chemical nitrates um, and all clean, simple ingredients. Cool. Um, and, um, okay, so give us some tips on how to cook. Um, let's start with a frozen turkey. How do you cook a frozen turkey? The first, the first step in, thawing a fro- or in uh, cooking a frozen turkey is, uh, is getting it thawed, like we talked about. Um, and I think if there's, a, if there's a pitfall to avoid, it's to make sure that you do allow enough time for that turkey to thaw. I think we all... Uh, you know, we all get accustomed to thawing, um, you know, a pound of ground beef or something like that very quickly in the refrigerator. But uh, a turkey will take um, about a day for every four pounds. So you think about even a, you know, even a small you know, 12-pound turkey will probably take three or four days um, to really be fully thawed. So that would be the first step on a frozen turkey. Then I would say from there, um, whether you're roasting a, a fresh or a frozen turkey, um, the most important thing would be to, to make sure you have a good meat thermometer because um, I would say the second pitfall um, to avoid would be overcooking a turkey. And um, we probably all heard horror stories of a, a turkey that uh, got overcooked and dried out. Um, if you have a good meat thermometer, you should be able to avoid that. Uh, 165 degrees um, is the, the target temperature for roasting a turkey. And uh, keep your eye on the thermometer when it's 165. Um, pull it out. And uh, let those natural juices reabsorb before you carve into it. And regardless of John, how you John Peterson, it. we're going to take a bit of a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
event because I think I failed to mention that, but the weekend before Thanksgiving Turkey Fest. Sure. Okay. And uh, I uh, I should have mentioned that when we talked about the store, and I realized afterward I forgot. So all right, we could talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about Turkey Fest. And what about um, uh, these alternative ways of cooking turkeys? Like people fry them and do things like that. Uh, do you are yeah. you comfortable with those or that topic? I, I've never fried yeah. a turkey, but <laughs> I ha- I honestly haven't either. I've, I've had a fried turkey and it tastes great, but I've never made one myself. I all I mean I'm I'm comfortable if we talk about it. Okay. Um for sure, but I always say and I'll I'll say this if we talk about it that you know there's so many different ways that people prepare turkeys and I I swear that we've heard all of them um from customers coming in the store you, you know you can of course fry them or brine them or grill them or all of these different things but you know ultimately it's that uh you know monitoring the temperature um, that's the most important because I think you can get a really good turkey using all of those different methods um, as long as you're mindful of not, not overcooking it. And then um, do you have good tips for leftover turkey? Oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, yeah. <laughs> my tip is always just to make a lot of simple turkey sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's nothing better than um, just a you know good, simple sandwich um, right and my my, my tip is to take the leftovers and like a wild rice turkey and maybe put mm. like a cream sauce on it and make it like a casserole and then you can oh, freeze yeah. the casserole and then you have the casserole yeah. for lunch in like two three weeks when you're you know so you can kind of do something like that or make it like a turkey chili so yeah. that's that's uh that's the direction i'll go in i guess i'm i'm ready um we'll come back and start with your events and um Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who's talking turkey today with Thanksgiving around the corner. I'm happy to have John Peterson with Ferndale uh, Turkey um, with us. And, uh, John, you've got an event coming up you want to talk about. We do indeed. The uh, The weekend before Thanksgiving, the 23rd and 24th of November this year, is our annual Turkey Fest celebration. Um, I think this is the 10th year that we've done Turkey Fest, um, and it, it really is such a fun celebration, um, not only of, of Thanksgiving and, of course, the first chance that folks can pick up a fresh Thanksgiving turkey here at our on-farm market, but we really try to celebrate local foods um, and the local harvest as well. So we'll have a lot of local food samples in the store. Uh, we have live music, and uh, some of those samples happen to be um, sort of holiday-focused with a delicious apple pie that's made just up the road uh, from us by Sunrise Orchard. Um, This year we're featuring a brand new turkey gravy that we've made in partnership with Birchwood Cafe. Um, And so we'll have a number of different samples throughout the store. Um, But like I say, all really geared around um, not not just Thanksgiving, but also the sort of harvest celebration of of all the good things happening in, in local food around this area. Yeah, it, the sense of community because eating food is a relational act. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and never more so than than at Thanksgiving for sure. Right. It's it's coming together at the table. So, um, tell us more about different ways of making turkey. Yeah, there are there are so many different ways of making turkeys, and uh, you know, I, I smile thinking about. It. I think each year 
as I interact with with guests in our store, I learn another new way um, that that people prepare their turkeys. And uh, you know, some are sort of the tried and true, you know, been family secret family recipe that a family's been using for generations. And then also are uh, more experimental, where somebody wants to try something uh, new and different um, each year. And I I think all can produce a really good tasting uh, Thanksgiving turkey or holiday meal. Uh, like I said before the break, I think the most important part is just um, monitoring the the temperature because depending on your uh, your preparation method, um, it may get there a lot faster or, or more slowly. Um, but Get the turkey to 165, let it come out and rest before you carve into it, and uh, you should have a, a wonderful, uh, naturally moist turkey. How long should you let the turkey rest? I usually say about 20 minutes or so, um, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. It's a, it's a really good time to either um, do some of the other last-minute prep on the meal or uh, pour yourself a glass of wine and, uh, and sit down with the, with the guests and visit for a few minutes. Um, before you carve that bird. And it is amazing um, how much of that uh, natural juice will remain in the bird when you give it time to, to just reabsorb. Because you did say that one of the things that's different about your turkeys is they, they don't have all those juices, all that um, artificial, I don't know if I want to, the, the chemical nitrate free, but so you're not, you're, you're not brining it. So do you have to do something special to make sure the turkey's not dry? You don't. Ironically, um, I think you can get a you know a turkey that's every bit as as moist. And um, oftentimes, you know, we hear people say that it tastes like turkey used to taste um, because we're not um, we're not adding anything that would mask the natural flavor. Um, but I do think um, you want to make sure that those uh, those good natural juices um, end up in the turkey and not on your carving board. So uh, give it a little bit of time to to reabsorb and. Uh, and you should be really happy with the flavor, we hope. And with a fresh turkey, um, it still is kept at a deep chill temperature, so um, you don't just pick up a fresh turkey and cook it um, a, an hour later, right? You still have to wait a little bit. Exactly. We, I mean, we really monitor our, our temperatures very closely. We, we say, you know, because we're not using any preservatives, that our, our best natural preservative is cold air. Um, and so we do, um, we, you know, we don't want the turkeys to be frozen, of course, but we do keep them as close to 32 degrees um, as we can in our cooler. And so, you know, sometimes they'll get almost a, a light crust on the exterior. So um, you're right, Laura. I mean, the, the hope is that it's a turkey that you can you can take home and, and start prepping. Um, but, uh, but I do think, you know, getting it a day or two in advance is probably a wise idea. Cool. And then um, I also want to make sure people talk turkey all around. Now, what is this time of the year like for you uh, right before Thanksgiving? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, uh, I sometimes think about this time of year, how I, I don't even really have a, a plan for my day. Most of the year I try to you know map out what I'm going to accomplish first, second, and third. Um, this time of year, there are just so many things happening. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of true across our business. Of course, it's an extremely busy time on the farm preparing for Thanksgiving, um, but also in our market as we prepare for Turkey Fest and um, bring in a lot of additional items. And then, of course, you know, as we as we plan to, to ship our turkeys to the co-ops and Kowalskis, like we talked about, there's just a lot happening everywhere. And so I, I sort of feel like um, during the month of November, Myself and all of our all of our team is just running in overdrive, um, and it's a time of year that we're very grateful for. Um, but uh, but we know that 
we have to dig in and work hard um, to uh, to make it all happen for for Thanksgiving each season. And tell us about the other products that you have available. Uh, turkeys year round, not just for Thanksgiving. Definitely yes, and I appreciate you bringing that up because this is, of course, the the time of year that uh, turkey farmers like us get the get the spotlight. It's our <laughs> our time of year to shine at Thanksgiving. Um, but one of the things that we talk a lot about as a family farm is that to really sustain what we're doing all year, um, we need to have more than just one opportunity um, to sell our turkey. And so we have really tried, and I, I mentioned the co-ops as a good partner in this, um, we've really tried to develop um, other turkey products. Um, I know, Laura, you and I have talked in the past about ground turkey as a great year-round option and we have uh, both a dark meat ground turkey and a white meat ground turkey um, but also a lot of sausages and snack sticks and uh, you know of course all of the different turkey parts and smoked turkey breast and deli items like we talked about um, to really make turkey a you know an easy um, and approachable item um, all year round and you can find you can find those products in the in the co-ops of course but we recognize that most people probably aren't going to sit down and roast a whole turkey um, every week, but there are lots of ways to incorporate turkey into a into a weekly menu. So we're down to our last two minutes here. Favorite things to do with turkey leftovers? Well, my favorite thing. This is probably uh, probably not the most exciting thing that one could do with turkey leftovers, but I don't know that there's anything that tastes better to me um, than just a nice, simple turkey sandwich. Um, whether that's uh, late late on Thanksgiving Day um, or or certainly the next day with the other Thanksgiving left or leftovers, um, but I I keep it pretty simple: a, a good cheese, a little mayo, um, some good bread, um, and boy, I think you got about the best uh, leftover meal you can have right there. That's great. Okay, so uh, uh, John Peterson with Ferndale Turkey, where again is your store located? We are in Cannon Falls, um, so just about a half hour, 45 minutes south of the Twin Cities Metro, um, right off 52. And uh, if folks want to visit our website, ferndalemarket.com, we have directions to the store, um, a spot where you can pre-order a fresh turkey, and also a spot to see um, which retailers near you would be carrying our birds. Awesome. Well, I thank you so much, um, John, for being with us today. Um, we're going to take a break. When we're coming back, we're going to be talking about the other meals we can make. Um, we're going to be joined with Emma, by Emily Torkinson with Eat for Equity. And we're also going to be talking about the news this week from uh, Richfield and the school lunch program. Um, so I thank you, John, for joining us so much. And uh, remember, you can order from Seward Community Co- Cooperative. Um, you have until Thursday, November 21st, to order your fresh turkey. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Headline, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person now talking about turkey. We thanks so much to John Peterson from Ferndale Turkey for being with us earlier in the show. Um, and now um, we're also we've, with us right now is Emily, and Emily's with Eat for Equity, and we're going to be talking about how to cook for a crowd. Welcome to Absolutely. Food Freedom Radio. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Laura. Yeah, well, I said, I mean, you um, you seem like an expert on cooking for a crowd. 
<laughs> we sure are. Eat for Equity is a nonprofit that has brought together thousands of people over the years to um, to eat, to drink, to give, and to be merry. So we host community feasts for a cause. Um, these meals are made entirely by volunteers, and we got our start cooking out of home kitchens. So we definitely know what it's like to cook for hundreds. Well, we cook <laughs> for hundreds out of home kitchens. Um, and I think a lot of people um, approach this holiday with <laughs> a lot of stress and concern. Like, really, it, you can absolutely host your own dinner of giving and thanks, and you can do it out of your home and... <clears throat> We uh, put together a guide a few years ago about how to how to make a Thanksgiving feast for eight people, twenty people, fifty people, or more in your own home. So we've got a number of different side dishes. I know you've got great um, turkey tips earlier on in the show, but um, we've got lots of lots of great sides, and uh, the cookbook is still available online, and it's free to download. Um, and we, you can get it at eatforequity.org slash feast and get a number of different free cookbook downloads. We, I mean, really, everyone has the capacity to be able to cook for the people they love um, out of their own home and to make a meal that's, um, that's delicious and made with a lot of heart. And, um, yeah, we know you've got this, and just <laughs> check us out and get, get the tools and sort of play-by-play that you need to, to feel confident. Yeah, and I, I love I love the way the, the way you talk because a lot of heart because this can be fun, right? Oh, absolutely! I mean, I love cooking with people. It's one of my favorite parts of the job is to get friends, strangers, um, crushes, family members together in a kitchen and start shopping and making something together that you wouldn't have been able to um, to make on your own. So, um, and I think people really enjoy wanting to help so we've also got tools for how to involve people in the cooking process you know i mean how can i help what can i do um there's a lot of ways that you can involve other people in the making of the meal you don't have to be responsible for presenting something that's picture perfect like actually it's more fun and and um, even even it's easier (laughs) to involve other people and especially young people. I mean, I actually had some fond memories coming back of, you know, being invited, whether it's, you know, putting some little trinkets, you know, cutting the grapes for some of the salads or, you know, some little thing mm-hmm. to be, to feel like you're part of a community meal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I guess for my own family Thanksgiving, I, I'm, I, even though I'm, I'm the professional chef, um, I'm not really allowed to, <laughs> really allowed to help. I always ask, "What can I do?" And I'm, you know, "Oh, we got this, we got this." And I mean, that's it's nice. It's nice to be hosted in that way. But really, I do wanna do wanna help um, help contribute. So, you know, like one of one of the things that I love to have on the table for most meals, but also for Thanksgiving, is like a big leafy green vegetable. So. You know, you can do, you can win over, we've got a recipe for kale with bacon dressing, so you can win over those kale skeptics in your family with bacon dressing, and it's um, something that you can um, prep pretty easily. You know, anybody can de-stem the kale, and you just toss the salad together. It can be really fun for kids to uh, wash their hands really well or (laughs) put on gloves, but then to, to toss the salad with their hands, and kale really stands up well. It can 
stay at room temperature for a while, and it really uh, it's one of those things that you could could make ahead of time, and you could really have the kids do do most of. Um, and I think also, you know, the oven tends to be occupied with the turkey, um, so planning to do some things on the stove, whether you're doing, you know, mashed potatoes or or something that can be prepared raw, like the kale salad or, say, like a Brussels sprout slaw you could shred really quickly. Um, and you have all these yeah. recipes for free on your website, eatforequity.org. We do. Yeah, yeah. They're all, they're you go all to eatforequity.org slash feast. Um, you can sign up to get all of our cookbook downloads for free. Um, so, yeah, we really hope that you, you use it and and, um, and let us know how it goes. Right. And and I know, I mean, the first time, I, a long, long time ago, I remember with the turkey dinner being kind of struck by the fact that, oh, this oven can't fit everything I had planned for it. <laughs> and so it can be stressful. Um, but how mm-hmm. to decrease that stress and make it fun? Well, I mean, I think less help. <laughs> I think less help, and so thinking ahead of time, what are all the things that I'm going to need to do? Um, which things can I make ahead of time, like the pies or the, the desserts? Which things can I uh, delegate to other people to bring? Um, if you decide that you, you don't have the capacity, either in your oven or your time, to, to do it all, um, you know, who makes the best pies or who can bring the cheese plate or um, who can bring the wine. I also think (laughs) (laughs) just just taking a a breather and and remembering why you're doing this. Um, You're you're doing it because you want to celebrate the people in your life and you want to share a meal and you're part of the celebration too. So um, what do you need to, to not be stressed, and it's different for everybody. Some people, they need to have everything, you know, set ahead of time, and that's what's going to make them more present. And other people, they just want to be in the moment and um, involve people and, um, you know, kind of improvise, and that's what makes them feel in the moment. I, know, so, I, agree. I guess think what you need to feel good. What you need. So, Emily, um, Eat for Equity, I want to connect this conversation. Um, holidays are about celebrations with equity. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to turn now to a different issue, and then we're going to bring back you to talk more about food. But there is a news story out this week that's really quite tragic about food lunch shaming. Um, and Benjamin Gross is on the phone right now. And, Benjamin, I remember meeting you, whatever it was, maybe seven, ten years ago, and you're raising money for other kids' school lunch programs. And... So there's a situation in Richfield. Um, it's, it's just heart-wrenching um, with the school lunch program. And so Benjamin Gross is joining us. Benjamin Gross from Egan. Um, tell us your reaction to this. Uh, well, first of all, the issue is bigger than just Richfield. Okay. And... Richfield dropped the ball in several different ways. But I just don't want to pick on it because other Minnesota schools, they were like withholding uh, kids graduating, you know, their diplomas because of uh, school lunch debt. In the last six years, 
the school lunch debt has shot up 70%. And uh, there's an organization called FRAC, F-R-A-C, which stands for Food Research and Action Center that has a lot of great ideas on how to deal with this. But in today's situation with kids, they're having to deal with school shootings. And I bring that in with the sad reality of what happened when Santa uh, down in Southern California today. And Santa Clarita, Clarita, excuse me. You know, and it's today you have to deal with school shooting bullies, and now we want to put lunch room dead on them. You know, uh, our kids can't take all that stress. And it's a failure of the parent, not the student. It is, it, it, but it's also it's also our collective failure. And and I want to make sure I, uh, in case someone doesn't know the details, uh, forty students in Richfield um, had their hot lunch taken away from them, and then the hot lunch was thrown in the garbage because they had more than fifteen dollars of debt, um, and somebody had put this video out, and so we do have kind of some connection issues, but. But the, so it is, and I know, uh, Benjamin, you've been uh, for a long time been um, raising money to pay off school lunch debt because kids do have too many burdens on them. It shouldn't be on the kids. We shouldn't be using the student needs as collateral to, to collect money from the parents. Think about that. We're using kids as debt collectors. I mean, that's pathetic. And I'm ashamed of Minnesota. We can do better than that. You know, there's a lot of different ways uh, we could be handling this. You know, not just in Richfield, but statewide and across the country. We need to make the debt more transparent to the community and to business to give them the opportunity to step up. We need to better our online lunch payment systems. We need to uh, recruit the PTAs to set up GoFundMe. We need to do voluntary collections uh, from groups that use the schools after school weekends and summers. Well, and I'd, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to see innovation in the schools. Let's have community gardens. Let's have the students be food entrepreneurs. Uh, Michael Moore's movie had a great thing about the food lunch programs in other countries where they were like served on China dishes with real silverware, and it was real food. I mean, the quality of the food is also an issue. But to take hot lunches from students 
because their parents didn't pay $15. I mean, that is our problem. Um, so, you know, I thank you so much, um, Benjamin, for calling in. Thank you. We have, you know how I got involved with this. I saw a Facebook uh, posting, and it just said, uh, it was posted by Vicki Wright, and it just said, hey, you want to make a difference in the world? Call your local school and offer to pay off one kid's lunch debt. Pay off one kid's lunch debt. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for joining us, and thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, and thanks to Benjamin Gross. We talked a little bit about the uh, lunch shaming episode that happened in Richfield, and Benjamin was involved. He um, helped raise over $1,000 to pay off some uh, local school debt in uh, Dakota County. So we thank uh, Benjamin Gross for talking with us. And now joining us again is Emily with Eat for Equity. Um, Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, Emily. Thanks, Laura. And talk about this equity point, because it's Eat for Equity. What does that mean, equity? So that for us means a few different things. One is equity in terms of um, who's at the table. So everyone's welcome to our dinners, and there's uh, typically no set price to attend. So you get to decide what feels generous to you. You can give your time. You can wash dishes. You can make the meal. Um, you can give. You can give twenty bucks, fifty bucks, five dollars, whatever feels generous to you. And then everything goes to support a different organization. Um, so there's also equity in the organizations we choose. Um, all of the, the nonprofits are nominated by community members. They're chosen by our volunteers, and they address inequities in some way. So uh, whether it's health, um, environment, uh, education, opportunity, the organizations that we support tend to be small, wily, and really equity-driven. Equity so your next and support is for... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> no, it's okay. And then also equity in terms of our sourcing. So, um, yeah, we're, we're eating food that is local and organic. Um, and we're also trying to buy food from uh, women-owned, minority-owned, cooperatively-owned businesses. And that contributes to equity in our community. Um, and, yeah, we want, you know, people to think about food as a tool for equity building. And, um, and we are... Um, hosting an event on Thursday, November 21st, that you can be a part of to support one of those great organizations. So it's a Eat for Equity in support of YouthLink, um, which is is much more than just a drop-in center, but it, it essentially that's its roots as a drop-in center for youth who are experiencing some housing insecurity. Um, but they're an all-encompassing organization, and we are at their headquarters, which is Awesome. So Thursday, November 21st, their chef, Carl, has designed a menu. They've got chicken and squash and a whole host of great things. We're going to be making pies and inviting everyone. You are welcome to come and give what you can to support this awesome organization. That's Thursday, November 21st, and you can find out more information on our website or on Facebook. Again, that's eatforequity.org or Eat for Equity Minneapolis online. 
And do you want people to pre-register so you know how much food to make? Or we love it when people can RSVP. Yeah, you don't have you can give ahead of time, or you can give at the door. um, Whatever works best for you. So we want to make sure you know you are welcome to come, even if you don't RSVP. Um, But it's always great to know how much food we should make. And what is wonderful about that space is to create. I'm sorry, it's kind of harder on the phone sometimes, but to create that space where people are there paying what they want. So we're we're kind of breaking boundaries on on um, equity. We're all we're all just humans, right? <laughs> and whether yeah. you're contributing, um, uh, whether you're washing a dish, whether you're putting in fifty cents, whether you're putting in five thousand dollars, it's the same. We're all together, and that's um, a unity and a sense of equity. That's a very um, powerful movement. Yeah, thanks. And it, it's true. We all have something that we can give, and. Um, I, we want to create spaces where everyone feels like they're welcome. Um, and if you can't make that one, we have an, uh, another Eat for Equity December 7th in support of Young Dance. So this is a, a nonprofit that works with um, cr- with people of all ages, abilities, races to um, to to dance. And um, that'll be Saturday, December 7th. At the Dubliner Cafe. Awesome. Okay, so we have about four minutes left to talk about um, how to cook side dishes for um, Thanksgiving. Um, one of my favorites is roasted vegetables, which I'm sure you've probably done tons and tons of roasted vegetables. How do, how do you do your roasted vegetables? Oh, um, I love to roast vegetables in the oven with just a little bit of salt and olive oil um, and pepper. And then... Um, one thing that we love to do is to toss it with a light vinaigrette um, when you get it out of the oven and just to brighten it up. So just a simple vinaigrette, maybe with mustard and vinegar. Um, it adds a lot of brightness to those roast vegetables. Sprinkle it with a ton of fresh herbs um, when you get out of the oven. Um, those are some of my favorite ways to eat roast vegetables or like with a little, a little crunchy you know, nut or seed mix on top. Um, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Probably my favorite side dish is uh, butternut squash. It's one of the simplest things to do. And um, my parents grow a, a bunch. They have a, a, a farm in southern Minnesota. And, and it's, all you have to do really is slice it in half, throw it in the oven. Or slice it in half, scoop out the seeds, um, sprinkle with salt, throw it in the oven. And then it's, you know, there's no sugar needed to be added. It's super sweet, creamy, and um, it's also something that you can make ahead of time if you're, if you're trying, to, trying to do that. What about some good tips for turkey leftovers? Um, well, you definitely want to save that turkey carcass, right, and, um, and turn it into turkey stock so you can have turkey soup for weeks afterward. Um, I, I make a a, a kind of compost stack, so I throw in, you know, my onion peels and carrot tops and um, and garlic peels and and any chicken bones, and I, I keep those in a in a plastic bag in the freezer so that when I'm ready to to make a stack, I've got all of those ends, um, things that you might have just thrown in the compost, but you can. Um, get a little bit more flavor and nutrition out of that and turn it into soup for the rest of the winter. Um, 
so that's one of the things that you definitely got to do with your, your turkey carcass. The turkey carcass. And I know it can sound really hard to, if someone hasn't done it, but it's really not that hard once you do it a couple times, is it? You just take the carcass with whatever, you know, like you, I like the way your phrase, your compost veggies, fill it full of water and let it stay on low for 12 hours. Is that how you do yours? Well, 12 hours, that's ambitious. I, I know, I was... think you can, get, you, can get it, you can get a great stock in, in a couple of hours. Okay. Um, but yeah, the more, that you, the more that you simmer something, like the more flavor you're going to get out of it, and you just drain it out. And um, you've basically gotten free, free stock from things that you might have thrown in the garbage. So the turkey stock, any other ideas for leftover turkeys? Like making a turkey stew. I like to make like a turkey casserole, and then I can put the casserole in the freezer in smaller containers so then I can have some kind of like ready-to-go meals down the line. But um, but, but people want to get some recipes. You've got uh, free cooking books. Where do they find those? Those they can find at eatforequity.org slash feast. And, uh, yeah, we've got cookbooks for Thanksgiving, a love-themed cookbook, and a cookbook that showcases our work at Bonnaroo Music Festival, so it's our summer festival-themed cookbook. Uh, yeah, we really think food is a great way to bring people together and support um, something bigger than yourself. Um, and and what what better way to capture kind of the intent behind Thanksgiving. Yeah, the intent of Thanksgiving. So I thank you so much, Emily, with Eat for Equity, and thank you to Benjamin Gross for joining us, and thank you also to John Peterson from Ferndale Turkey uh, for joining us, Um, and thank you for listening, and have a fantastic Thanksgiving.